Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you are joining us for another hope-filled message. And our prayer is that you are encouraged by this powerful Sunday sermon. I want you to take a moment, put your hands together and welcome Pastor Mark Berigis as he comes to bring the word. Why don't we just remain standing in every campus, every location for 30 more seconds. Can you just uh, lift your hands towards heaven if you're a follower of Jesus? If you're not, we're just glad you're in the room and just be a part of the moment because Father, we are here for you. Let every name be brought low and Jesus be lifted high. We thank you for less of us and more of you. Father, we are unashamedly dependent on you for everything, for our next breath, for our next day, for our next season, and for all that's in front of us. Lord, you are our shepherd, and we humbly, joyfully, willingly choose to follow you. And so, Father, I pray for everybody across New Zealand and Australia and everywhere where life is in Adelaide and Melbourne, North, South, West, Taronga, wherever, God, online, I thank you, God, that you would be exalted in every room. You would be magnified in every heart. And there'd just be a sense of your awesome presence awakening every life today. We pray all this in Jesus' name and everybody who could agree with that said, Amen. Can you give the Lord just an unashamed, unrestrained shout of praise? You go ahead and not be worried about the person next to you. I give you permission to not worry about what they think of you or what they look at you like. Just go ahead and give God the praise He deserves. Go and give God the shout He deserves because He is worthy. Right around the world in Jesus' name, we bless your name, God. Amen. Can you do me a favor and honor your pastors as well, Luke and Missy, and the entire leadership team, all the campus pastors in every campus and every uh, location, give them a big hand. And thank you to all the wonderful volunteers, the worship teams, the sound guys, the kids guys, the ushers, the car park people, everybody here who's life-giving in their own way. Give them a big hand as well. High five your neighbor, and then you may take your seats as well. Well, it is my joy, it's my privilege to be here. Uh, it is an honor to be a part of what God is doing in life, a, a, a flagship church for the region, not just Auckland, not just New Zealand, not just even within Australia, but this church has impacted lives way beyond what you might be conscious of. So I consider it a truly humbling honor to be playing a microscopic part in the next phase and next season of this amazing church. And I do love your pastors. I think they're marvelous people. If you don't know them, you should get to know them. They're cool. I want to speak a message this morning entitled The Eternity Effect. The Eternity Effect. I've unashamedly stolen the concept from a movie called The Butterfly Effect, which you don't have to have seen to understand this message. But essentially, the butterfly effect is a weather science pattern that describes the fact that everything is interconnected. And essentially, it's how the flutter of a butterfly's flies wings is somehow 
triggers chains of events that can eventually be traced to even a tornado or a hurricane, and how everything in weather science is connected from the most minute moments, as innocuous as the flutter of a butterfly's wings, right through to something as destructive as a tornado. And it's just simply describing the, the concept that everything is connected. In fact, the butterfly effect is the term now used to describe anything where something small can trigger something big. So when I talk about the term the eternity effect, I'm simply referencing the fact that eternity, even a small moment like a butterfly's wings moment in a service, in a worship song, at an altar, anytime eternity, just a droplet of eternity touches your life, it should trigger something astronomical. It will eventually trigger something that should change your life and the lives of many people forever. You know, in 2005, I had an encounter with God. I was disillusioned. I was a Christian, but how many know you can be a disillusioned Christian? If you're not, just hang around church long enough and eventually you'll meet someone from another church who's like that. Um, I had an encounter with God, and out of the, that was a profound encounter for me. So profound, it, it caused me to go sell my house, buy a one-way ticket to an Islamic country without a visa to start a church. And that was 17 years ago, and today it's, it shocks me as much as it shocks anyone else. But one encounter is still producing change today. People in countries, we're in 15 countries now, I don't know how... The, Tens of thousands in multiple countries. It's just, it's staggering. I can't imagine. But, and I'm not saying it's just that encounter, but every encounter in your life. Some of you are here today in every location, wherever you are. You're in the room today because some grandfather or grandmother or maybe some ancestor maybe responded to a Billy Graham crusade in some country or city near you. And because they had an eternal, eternity effect moment, they had a little butterfly's moment in a service and they heard the clarion call of the gospel and they walked to the front. And from that moment, generations have changed. You're here today as a byproduct of the eternity effect. Somebody had eternity awakened in them. And God has put eternity in the hearts of every human, not just every Christian. So he set eternity in their hearts. And so really, the, the heart of this morning's message is it'll awaken eternity inside every follower and believer because eternity should produce an effect. Maybe it's not a dramatic God encounter you had. Maybe it was at a funeral. Maybe it was at a moment, you can call it a turning point moment or something where you're like, man, life's short. The prodigal had an eternity effect moment in the pig pen. doesn't even have to be in a church service. And he's like, he came to his senses is the phrase used. Like, wow, life's got to be more than this. But eternity should have an effect is the point. It should have an effect on our temporary life. I think the reason most people don't have an interest in eternity is because they haven't invested much there. I have no interest in any stock I haven't invested in. I don't pay attention to the share prices of things I've got no investment in. If you don't have an investment in eternity, you don't have an interest in it. Jesus talked about this. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves cannot break in and steal. There's something about it, and I think... Here's what he said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
So if there's no treasure in eternity, your heart's not invested there. Um, I think it's partly because of the way we see life. I've got a picture, and, and my slides friend will help me. I've got a picture of a big red rope. And I think, well, it's quite small actually. But, uh, <laughs> but, but if you use your, your imagination and pretend it went right around the entire screen in the auditorium in every location, north, south, Melbourne, Adelaide, where, wherever you're watching, think of this. Can you see this little white dot at the end? That's like before you were born and after you die. And the red is like the 70 years, 80 years, whatever God gives you on this earth. And if you think of it like a timeline, you're sort of born, you can't remember the white part because you weren't, you know, you're not conscious, but you're born and then you sort of walk along through life and, you know, preschool, primary school, high school, first crush. My son had his first crush back there somewhere. Uh, uni, job, first job, second job, first marriage, second marriage, first church, 15th church, midlife crisis, you sneeze and you start to get sore parts in your body, you're like, oh, pension, retirement, sickness, oh man, what happens, I hope we've got our affairs in order, it's like, and, and we don't really think about the white bit until about here maybe, it's like we get confronted with something, oh, eternity's real, oh. How many times have you seen people at funerals hugging each other going, man, life's short, <sighs> better sort stuff out. And then two weeks later, back to the temporary. And, 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 and so about here, we think about it. But the truth is, life isn't, it, it, it's like this, but it doesn't look like this. It looks more like the, white, the, the red dot. In fact, put the next slide up. That whole 70 years is that eternity is forever. The amount of energy we put into the red dot is staggering. And no picture will do it justice. But the white is supposed to have an effect on the red. Most of us live like the red is everything because the red feels so big and long. But the white is everything. We are eternal beings. And God said, listen, here's I'll help you navigate the red. I'll put a speck of white inside your life. I'll put eternity in your heart. And then the challenge is, will that piece of eternity actually awaken, trigger, shift, change, prioritize anything in your life? Let's, let's talk about some stories. Story time. <clears throat> Anyone like stories? Okay. Since we're church, we're going to do Bible stories. Um, first story is about a story called Isaiah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. And uh, in chapter 6 of the book that he wrote... He describes an encounter he has with God. In fact, I've got some scriptures, and we'll just read it just for the sake of clarity, so you know I'm not making up the story. Here's what it says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is an eternal moment he's having. Keep going. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So this is pretty powerful. And one cried to another, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. This is Isaiah's response. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. That's a pretty profound encounter. I would love to have an encounter like that. I don't know, you can't compare encounters, but when God became so real in my life, in that encounter I had, I would say I've had a handful of encounters with the Lord and nothing at this level, but enough to change my life. Eternity certainly had an effect. You know, I, I describe my thing like a burning bush, which is really a bit sacrilegious because Moses literally had a burning bush. The bush was burning, it was on fire, not consumed, talked to him. It caused him to change everything about his life. I don't think it's wrong for anybody today under the sound of my voice to, in the boldness of your own secret place, ask God, God, I want a burning bush. Lord, I want an encounter. Don't let anybody shut you down and go, you're not worthy of it. None of us have been worthy of anything. You're not worthy of a burning bush. You're not worthy of an Isaiah 6 moment. But this moment in Isaiah's life changed everything. Not only did it change northern Israel where he was prophesying, this moment literally changed eternity because you think about it, we're still reading from the book that answers by his name. We've quoted some of the most famous passages in Scripture through here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We've heard, you will walk through the fire and not be burned. You will walk through the waters and you will not drown. You've heard, have you not seen the everlasting God, the Creator, the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no mighty increase of strength. Even youth grow weary and fail, and young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will walk. There's so many passages from the book of Isaiah that are still life-giving and changing people's lives because one man had an encounter way back when and forever it had an eternal effect. Never downplay the impact of an eternal moment, even in a service like this. You've no idea what it'll trigger. Second story. So first one is Isaiah. Second one is, is Jesus himself in John chapter 13. Now, did Jesus really need an eternal moment? He is eternity. He's fully God, fully man, but here's what happened. In John 13, two through five, this, you've heard about the passage where he washed the feet of the disciples. Listen to what it says. There's a fascinating phrase in here. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had, listen, he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Everybody knows the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. In fact, books have been coined around the concept of servant leadership, which all started in this moment when you saw the greatest wash the least. Because the phrase that really catches my attention is Jesus knowing he had come from God and he was going to God 
It's like, I know the white before and I know the white after. I know my origin and I know my destination. I am not here a byproduct of just trying to grab all I can in this life. I know where I began and I know where I'm going, knowing he had come from God. Now, you'd think Jesus would have known that because he is God. But for some reason, John put it in the gospel that Jesus, knowing he had come from God and he was returning to God, so therefore he took off his outer garment and served. What's the connection? When you're so secure in your origin and your destination, when eternity is so burning in your heart, nothing is beneath you. I'm the king of kings is essentially what he knew. I know my origin, I know my destination. So washing the dirt off the disciples is nothing. And that's why I want to encourage you. Don't let serving be a byproduct of recruitment. Oh, we have to serve in this church. No, know where you come from. And know where you're going. If serving is beneath you, maybe being Christ-like is beyond you. Never, never, never be beyond saying, God, I thank you. Servanthood is not a, a, a weak thing. It's a place for people who have eternity awakened in their heart. And, and yet, when, you, when I talk about this moment, knowing you had come from God and going to God, you might go, that doesn't sound like an Isaiah 6 moment. Isaiah story, let's call that the burning bush category. That's the wow conference encounter moment. That's the I'm in my bedroom, I was sobbing for 45 minutes, God just turned up and I saw bright lights kind of moment. This moment in John 13, I like to think of it as an aha moment. Like a Oh, wow. You know, anyone had those moments? I think the prodigal, that was the moment in the pig pen. I think there's the moment where you're like, what am I doing here? You might have had it one day at work, and just someday the lights went on. You're like, what am I doing with my life? Or it might have been at a hospital. It might have been somewhere where you thought, what am I? It's just like the lights went on. Uh, uh, you know, I like to call it a monopoly moment. The reason I call it a monopoly moment is growing up as a kid, me and my siblings used to play Monopoly. We played Monopoly. Anyone played Monopoly before? Monopoly? Yeah. It was just a cool game. And I mean like the old school game, not now. There's Monopoly Deal and Monopoly, all these card games. And in fact, I told my son, we need to buy Monopoly because we want to carry the family tradition on. And he bought a Monopoly game that includes credit cards. I'm like... <laughs> That's not Monopoly. Monopoly is where you get two 500s, four 100s, a 50, a 20, two 10s, five and five five ones. And yet you actually play with, that's how I learned the, the, the geography of England, Premier League teams and Monopoly. And, and, and it was, when we played, I'm the eldest of four, it was this passionate, I think well, there's a picture, do we have a picture of them? Yeah, this, this, remember this? Real Monopoly. And it, it used to be, it's amazing, because for like four to six hours, you felt like Donald Trump. Buying properties, going to jail, <laughs> passing go, collecting money. It was powerful. I'll have a hotel, please. Like in real life, when are you ordering hotels? It was amazing. You just felt so excited because you were in the game and it was so real. And, and you know, there would be emotions. If you're winning, you're high. If you're losing, you're low. And people would yell at each other, don't swap Piccadilly for Houston. You're getting ripped off. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. No, no, no. And, and on the roll of a dice, your emotions were high and low. And for four to six hours, it was a blast. And we would be in the throes of the game, not always finishing the game. But at some point, we'd hear mum yell, dinner time. Put it away, dinner time. And normally, whoever was losing 
would just tip the board in joyful obedience. And it was the weirdest thing. It's like it snapped you out of this world you were in for six hours, and all the emotions, high or low, found a new balance. And you know why? We just didn't just tip it. Then we had to pack it all away and put the pieces back, and it all went back into the box. Six hours earlier, it came from the box. Six hours later, it went into the box. You come from the box, you go back into the box. It's like life. One day, we all, it all just goes back into the box. Whatever you've accumulated in life, however many hotels and houses and laps around the board, highs and lows, it all just goes back into the box, including you. And in that moment, when someone would tip the box, and we're like, from the box to the box. From you are all things. We sing that song. And to you are all things. Jesus knowing he had come from God and he's going to God. It's this monopoly thing that's called life. And it, it triggers such a various spectrum of emotion. But it's all going back in the box. And you know, when we we'd finished the, the game, you'd have this monopoly moment. Like, oh, that's right, back to real life. Back to studies. Back to no hotels or houses. And it was just this... Aha moment. I don't know why John put it in the gospel that Jesus, knowing he had come from God, going to God. But every now and then it's good to remind yourself where you came from and where you're going. It puts monopoly in perspective. It puts that life in perspective. And, and I, you know, many people have changed careers, gone to mission fields, sacrificed, done radical things for God out of a monopoly moment. You didn't need an Isaiah 6 encounter. You didn't need a Moses burning bush encounter. You just had a moment where in a message like this or in a meeting like this or in a sermon or a song or a, in an altar call ministry moment, you're like, God, my life is yours. Something, it was just a moment. It was a monopoly moment. Man, all of this is monopoly. Oh, wow, God, my life is yours. And eternity, a moment like that, a butterfly's wings as innocuous as a monopoly moment has triggered a change in your life. So you got Isaiah story one, Jesus story two, story three, spoiler alert, it's not a good one, it's the rich young ruler. You know the story probably if you've been around church. It's this rich young ruler. I don't know whether because he was rich, he was young, he was a ruler. He had money, he had time, and he had authority. I don't know, but there was something blocking him because he had an eternal moment too, but it didn't work out good for him. Isaiah's eternal moment changed history. Jesus' eternal moment triggered a model called servant leadership that we're still today working out because of what he did to wash the feet of his disciples out of that moment, knowing where he came from and where he was going. But the rich young ruler, unfortunately, didn't work out as good. This is what happens. He comes to Jesus, and this is, I find this fascinating. It says in verse 16 of Matthew 19, now behold, one came to him and said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Everyone say eternal life. Come on, every campus say eternal life. What did he want? Eternal life. He was something longing for eternity. He had wealth, he had time and he had authority and he wanted eternal life. Jesus goes, all right, and they start a discourse. If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you have treasure. Listen, this is really important. Jesus promised him, Treasure in heaven. 
What did he want? Eternal life. What did Jesus promise this guy? Treasure in? He was longing for eternity. Jesus promises him eternal treasure. Treasure in heaven. If you're a business guy, pay attention. This is a good deal. Imagine if I said to you, give me whatever you can right now, and I will give you from tomorrow a thousandfold return forever. You will not only give everything you have, you liquidate your mother-in-law, you'll sell whatever you have and present it because that is a deal way too good to refuse. He's looking for eternal life. Jesus promised him treasures in eternity, forever. And we know how the story works. He walks away sad because he was so caught up in the Monopoly game. Imagine if we're playing Monopoly for a second, right? Just pretend this was a scenario. And we're playing Monopoly and you're winning. You've got hotels on Mayfair, a few houses on the green set. You're just doing so good. And say in real life I'm a really rich man, but I'm losing the Monopoly game. And I say to you, hey, listen, how about we make a deal? You give me some of your hotels in, Mon in Monopoly. G give, me, give me that, and in real life, I'll give you a hotel, a real hotel in, in Mayfair. I'll give you three houses on Bond Street, and I'll give you a couple of train stations. Plus all the thousands of pounds you have in Monopoly money, I'll give you that in real life. Imagine if I had the capacity to do that, and you're in the game, and you're playing, you're like, are you real? Are you real? What? Are you sure? No, 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 really. You stop. Time out right now. We'll do a trade, but you have to say yes. That person has got a bit of a tension. If that's a real deal, it's a no-brainer. It's a game. That's what Jesus was offering this guy in this moment. Got a bit of Monopoly stuff going on here. Go sell what you have, give to the poor. I'll give you forever treasure. He was having an eternal moment, but it had no effect on him. Because that's how strong the temporary was on his life. That's how strong the monopoly was on his heart. So instead of having a monopoly moment that he goes back into the box, he's like, I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a ruler. We ain't swapping nothing. This is too heavy for Sunday morning. Three stories. Isaiah. Jesus and the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler, unfortunately, could not say yes. You know, here's, here's how I want to land this thing. See, the, the eternity effect, which, I, which I've entitled this, when, when you have a moment, whether it's in a service, in a meeting, in your bedroom, any moment you have where God gets your attention, and it could be for some of you right now, there's two concrete shifts that should happen. Number one, it should change your perspective. It should change your perspective. Isaiah had an encounter with God. He sees the train of the robe fill the temple. And what does he say? Woe am I, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a man. He's a prophet. And he goes, in light of you, I got so much I need to change. He has a change in perspective immediately. Jesus, I don't think he needed a change in perspective, but he started serving the least when he had a moment of realizing in his own heart, I came from God and I'm going to God, I, it is a joy to serve. And yet, 
That is what eternity is supposed to do. It should change our perspective. In fact, the Bible says even how we look at death should be different. We shouldn't grieve as those without hope anymore because eternity should have an effect in our hearts. Do you know to the believer, this is the only hell you'll ever know. To the unbeliever, this is the only heaven they'll ever know. So don't live like it's heaven unless there's nothing left after it. See, I'm messing with some of your Monopoly games this morning. But at some point, you're going to hear the call, dinner time. And it might come sooner than you think. Like, did we have to get such a morbid speaker on a Sunday morning, Pastor, Pastor Luke? Could we have someone with a bit more joy? Listen, I, I'm telling you, you can live life full of joy. The red rope, the red dot is full of joy when you realize where you come from and where you're going. It's only when you don't know where you're going that's a problem. I love this verse in Psalm 73, 17, the Passion Translation. It says, then one day, this psalmist was having a bad day. I'm just cutting it short, giving you the summary. It says, then one day, I was brought into the sanctuaries of God and in the light of glory. In other words, after my butterfly moment, after an eternal moment, my distorted perspective vanished. See, a change in perspective is not someone twisting your mind. A change of perspective is seeing clearly again. This guy was having a bad day thinking this is the end of my life, everything's horrible. And then in the light of God's glory, his distorted perspective vanished. I'm believing that distorted perspectives this morning are going to vanish. Some of the heaviness that you've carried over an issue, unforgiveness, holding on to grudges, these little things that you've held on to, it doesn't need to dominate the landscape of your life. In the light of God's glory, may perspectives change this morning. Perspectives about life, perspectives about death, perspectives about money, Perspectives about relationships, perspectives about everything we're doing, it does not devalue life. It just puts it into context. You know, I actually think the rich young ruler had a change in perspective. He had eternity talking to him. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is talking to him. He's coming alive going, wow, the price was a bit too much for him. But I think he had a change in perspective because the Bible says he walked away sad. Something shifted in him, but this is the problem with the eternity effect. There's two concrete stages. Number one, it should change your perspective, but if, this, if the change in perspective does not lead to the second point, it's a complete waste of time. A change in perspective must, number two, trigger a response. If there's no response, the change in perspective is meaningless. So this guy might have had a change in perspective going, wow, and walked away, but nothing changed. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah said, had a change in perspective. Man, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so what did he do? He repented. What did he do? It triggered a response. Who will go for me? Me. There's some people who have amazing moments in the altar call at life and said, okay, let's give into the expansion offering. Oh, no, I just had a great time at church. Sorry, a bit too current. Um, Whatever it is, it needs to trigger a response. God, touch my heart, I feel forgiven, but I'm not letting go of the grudge with my family member. It has to trigger a response. If there's no response, the change in perspective is just a nice tour. So Isaiah repented and went. Jesus actually didn't go, wow, knowing I've come from God, go, well, I'll just tolerate these guys. No, he literally got onto his knees and washed feet. Think of it this way. 
Isaiah went, Jesus washed, but the rich young ruler just walked away. Didn't actually trigger the response. And it doesn't have to be you have to sell everything and go follow the... It's not that. It's about has all this God moments changed anything? Has it triggered anything? For some of you, it might be the, the peace you carry in a storm when everyone else is falling apart. For others, it might be just reconciling relationships. But, but before we criticize the rich young ruler, before we make him feel like he's really bad, it was a, it was a pretty big mission he was given. Some of us struggle to tithe. Monopoly's choking us. I'm not letting go of my monopoly money. And yet, if eternity, can I, can I give you a get out of jail free card since we're using Monopoly lingo? If eternity has never hit your heart, never feel like you have to do anything. Let me rephrase it another way. If you are just compelled to follow God, serve, blah, 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 but eternity has never touched your heart, it's legalism at its worst it's compulsion, it's just forced religion. But when eternity has touched your heart, if it doesn't change your perspective and trigger a response, it's a real problem. <laughs> because you either get harder or softer every time eternity touches your heart. You never leave the same. It is a dangerous thing to mess with the presence of God, to come into his presence, to sing, for from you are all things, to you are all things, you're worthy of it all. Have eternity, have monopoly moments, have burning bush moments, have conference moments, have small moments, have big moments. For that to hit your heart and to do nothing makes you harder. Your heart either gets softer in the presence of God or harder. You never leave the same. Which is why eternity now causes you to make a decision. What do I do with this, Lord? Where do I go with this? I want to repent in the light of it, anchor myself in it, live from it, live for it. My dad passed away five months ago, and he had a journey. He, he lived longer than he thought he was going to live. He had a couple of, saw a couple of miracles on the journey. But like every one of us, dinner time came knocking. And he passed away in February. And we know where he is. I, I had, a, had a, in fact, the, t the band can come back and we, we'll land this. Um, I, I remember speaking at his funeral, which was a huge honor. And as I spoke at his funeral, um, people who he had known for years came and it, we gave him the best send-off we could. We sent it all around the world because of the, where our church is and people who knew where he was and knew who he was and he'd, all of that. And so it was, the link was on YouTube, still is. My son, he's 14. Um, he, I didn't know this, but he was watching the YouTube link every night for probably the first three to four months. That's, he was crying himself to bed. And he really missed his granddad. And I, when I found out, when, my, when Jemima told me, honey, Zeke's still crying himself to bed every night. Uh, and I know, I know everybody grieves differently. And I, and I said, I went to talk to him. I said, son. And, and he was almost ashamed that he was watching it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't watch the whole funeral. He'd either watch my message or the video tribute or the part where they hear his voice. And he goes, oh, really? And he's talking about 
as a child would process. I mean, I remember being at my granddad's funeral, seeing my dad cry for the first time. I blink and it's his funeral. I blink again, I'll be in the box. It's that fast. And as I'm talking to him, I'm remembering myself when, at my grand, and, and, and we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have any of that, but he's, he's almost in that phase where he said things that, you know, you, you have to adjust. I don't want to live anymore. I just want to go now and see granddad. I just want to go to heaven now. Why did I? I'm going to never, I can't believe we're going to have so many years without being able to talk. And he's just processing and he's crying himself to bed every night. And so I said to him, you know, son, you can't do that. He's looking down from heaven and he wants you to live a full life and he wants you to do great things for God and he wants you to be a success and da da da, you know, just speaking life into him. Just get caught, you know, speaking him off the ledge. And then eventually his conversation started to turn. And he was like, Dad, I, and I see still watching bits of it. And I'm like, son, what are you doing? And he says, well, I, maybe I just need to find out what my purpose on earth is. I want to know why God has me on this earth. When I find that out, I'm just going to do what I have to do. And then I'm going to go home. I thought, okay, better. <laughs> but, you know, your purpose may take 70 years, you know. And I realized even the Holy Spirit was using the immaturity of his grief to start to awaken eternity in his heart. And at the age of 14, he's saying, what's my purpose? Why did God put me on earth? I'm going to study at uni and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But everything now is already anchored. He knows this is monopoly. This is one round. We get a few rounds. Maybe you get a couple of extra laps than the guy next to you. But at the end of the day, it's all going back into the box. I want you to stand to your feet. In fact, all over this auditorium and in every auditorium, in the north and the south, in Melbourne and Adelaide, online. And, and I want you for a moment just you know, in a few moments, we'll have time in the Connect Lounge and Pastor Luke will get up, speak to everybody. But before we do that, before you have coffee and cake and enjoy the, the rest of the day, before we get back to Monopoly, before we get back to our Monopoly lives, just for a second, give yourself permission to ignore the person on either side of you and just focus on the one who gave you life. Just for a second, have a... Have a monopoly moment. Have a burning bush moment. Don't be the rich young ruler who has an effect. It changes your perspective, but it doesn't trigger a response. Let it trigger a response this morning. And maybe the response is you need to give your heart to God. I want to know where my white is. I want to know before and after. For some of you, this is the first time you've heard something like this. For others of you, you've heard this so many times in many different forms but monopoly has started to dominate your thinking. I'm going to get Missy to just lead us in worship. And as she begins to sing, as the team begin to sing, I want this to be a monopoly moment right now in, in, in your heart, in, in, in your location, in your campus. Just forget about the person on either side and just say, God, mark my heart. Mark me with eternity. I don't want to be the rich young ruler. I don't want to be the guy that walks away because my perspective was changed in a moment in a Sunday service of life, but Lord, nothing changed. So all over this auditorium, I want to invite you, if you've never encountered God, this is a good time to start. Or if you have, why don't you, why don't you worship like you have? Why don't you worship like you have? Why don't you open your heart, lift your hands, lift your voice. You don't even need a song. Right where you are, you can begin to worship Him. You can say, God, I thank you 
that in this moment you will quicken eternity in my heart. You will awaken something, Lord. Let eternity have an effect. I want to promise you that if you would do it right now, you do not know. Maybe like when your grandfather did it at a Billy Graham crusade. Today may trigger a generational change that ignites the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. Who knows the people that'll come after you, that'll walk in different grace, because today eternity is going to have an effect. So lift your hearts, lift your hands, lift your voice, and let's begin to worship. For from you, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I trust you're encouraged by this incredibly powerful word. You know, you've always got a place to call home here at Life, and I want to encourage you to join us in one of our campuses in Auckland or Tauranga, or why don't you join us at Church Online. To find out more about life and to stay connected with us, why don't you visit lifenz.org.